0: of my devotion
1: now there's nothing
0: in this world that could ever satisfy through every storm my soul will see no turning back I've been set free
1: Can we start our time this morning with prayer? Let's do that. Would you take just a moment and silently, where you're seated, uh, go to the Lord this morning and just ask him to repair our hearts, and then I'll open up out loud. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that Christ is enough for us. God, so many times we look outside and try to find satisfaction in things that don't even compare. But God, we thank you for your son Jesus and what he did to come to this earth to die on a cross that we might be made right with you, God. And I pray that the believers that are in this room would drive a stake in the ground and say, God, I'm not going to ever turn away from that. God, we do pray for this service today. We know there are needs that are represented in this room. God, there are requests on our hearts that you've already heard silently in our prayers. And God, we ask that you give us wisdom to know what to do in those situations. God, we pray for our country right now. We have a time of election coming up. And God, we pray that your will obviously would be done. God, I don't think you're finished with America. God, I pray that you would help us to turn to you and to seek your face, that our officials, our, our governing officials, would look to you for wisdom, God. And I pray as we go to vote that you would lead and guide us too, God. Give us a good day today. Thank you for all you do for us. Be with this service, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me welcome you this morning to our services. Thank you uh, so much for choosing uh, to worship with us this morning. There's a care card. They're located there in the pew rack in front of you. Take a moment, and if you're a visitor, uh, take one of those cards and fill in your information. There are things you can request from us. We would love to get that in your hands. And then also on the back of those care cards are places to fill in prayer requests, and that's for everyone. If you want to have have a prayer need, take a moment to fill that in. When you leave today, there are two uh, wooden boxes on the round tables. You can put those there, and we'll make sure those get to the right people to be praying for you and make sure information uh, is directed to you. So thank you. Uh, for being with us today in worship and thank you to all that helped last thursday evening at pit school road elementary school we have no idea how many children and adults were there to come through and and get candy uh, and and cookies and whatever popcorn and cotton candy that was there Uh, but looking around and just seeing a lot of smiles and seeing people involved was was great to see that so all of you that helped with that uh, that was a big undertaking so thank you and those that gave candy. Uh, donate candy us. we have had a lot of candy and so we thank you uh... for doing that too uh... another thing is operation christmas child is in full swing now uh... there there are cardboard boxes available in the back for free if you would like to get one of those There are also plastic box boxes and we ask that you pay two dollars each for those and then our collection week is november the fourteenth through the twenty first here at pitts uh, our collection day at the church will be the thirteenth that sunday so you can bring your box that day and then we'll work that entire week uh, there are time slots available for you to come and work that, and then, men, we need some some of you on, especially on Monday, November twenty-first, to load all those up, the final loading, and then send them off to the main collection center down in Charlotte. If you can help with that, that would be great. And so, don't forget about that. Uh, that comes up again. Our collection day is Sunday, November the thirteenth. We also are going to the uh, the center down in Charlotte, uh, um, the processing center there, on November the twenty-eighth. That's a Monday, and then December the 13th, so we'll be listening for more details about that. That's always a great trip to go down there and work uh, from usually like 6 to 10. We work those evenings, and then on Saturday, November the 12th, that's going to be a men's work day here at the church, and so we'll have breakfast at 8 o'clock and have projects here on campus and off campus. Robbie will have those ready for us, and so men, if you would please go by, there is a sign-up sheet at the information desk for you to sign up to be a part of that. For our work day we have something special this morning uh, Amanda Christian's here and she is going to be doing a message for us for our children and so we want our kids if you would to come down front you can sit in these pews or even down here on the floor and she's going to be here on the steps and she's got an object lesson uh, this morning for us
2: You guys want to sit where you can see? Ava, come down here and sit right here. it where you can see, right here. You guys come right here? Like make a circle. Sit right there, yeah, come over here. Dakota, come here. Come right here so you can see. We got some more coming. We got more coming. okay well good morning i'm sorry i um had a little uh, too much fun thursday night at chunk or treat so i've lost my voice um sound amazing this morning um but i wanted to talk to you guys this morning about traditions can anybody raise their hand if you know what a tradition is what do you think Did you get my notes this morning <laughs> that's exactly right yeah a tradition is something that you do it's set usually or passed down like in your family or through your friends or communities sometimes have set traditions um churches so it's something that you do sometimes yearly or you might do it more often just depending on how what you're what you're doing right so for a tradition Um, When we're talking about traditions, there's a lot this time of year, right? So for me, on September 1st, I have to have all my fall things out immediately, right? Right? My kids are like, yep. Um, I I just love all the fall stuff. I love to see all the colors of the trees, and we like to make pumpkin muffins and cinnamon muffins, and we share those with our neighbors or our friends. All right, you. Um, So... (laughs) um, so we like to look at the leaves, and we like to have cookouts with our friends and roast and do s'mores. Um, and then, of course, we have to go to a pumpkin patch at least once. That's a requirement. Um, and then carving pumpkins is a is a big thing right now, right? Anybody raise your hand if you've been to a pumpkin patch or carved a pumpkin? Yeah. Well, did you know that being a Christian is like a pumpkin? Have you thought about that before? Yeah, it's like a pumpkin. And you can use a carving pumpkins to share Jesus with others. Isn't that cool? So, like, when you go to a pumpkin patch and you pull a pumpkin out, how many of you get it out and it's, like, perfectly clean and beautiful? Right out of the patch, right? Right out of the, is it, is it clean and pretty? What is it? What? Was it pretty? Well, good. Did you pull it right from the from the field? Um, they had, um, things full of so they already picked them for you, right? But if you pull them straight from the field, right, they're dirty and gross, right? They've been out in the weather. Yeah. Don't rush the sermon now. I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 Apparently, you're supposed to be teaching this, Gavin. <laughs> All right. So when we become Christians, when we ask, we go to Jesus. We're like that too. We're dirty, right? Where we've been in the world, we've only known the world, and now we're coming to know Him. And so when we come to Jesus, Jesus takes us in, and He starts cleaning us up, right? He starts. Sometimes we start on the outside, and we get real good and clean with Him. And the cool thing about Jesus is, is that you don't have to be clean to come to Him, right? We go to him because he's the one who makes us clean, okay? So he pulls us out of the patch, and he gets us good and clean. He starts cleaning us up. And eventually, as we come to know him, what happens? He starts to work on our insides, right? Everybody's favorite part of the pumpkin, right, Eli? (laughs) But he starts pulling out all the yuck in our lives, right? Eli, you want to? No. <laughs> um, <clears throat> he pulls out that yuck. What, what do we call the yuck in our lives? Maybe the things that we don't glorify God or, that's right, sin, right? So he takes out those seeds of greed or hate or fear. He starts cleaning us up from the inside, right? And we can give our sin to him. And that's why we need a savior is because we have all this yuck in us, right? That's why we're thankful for Jesus, because he came to take that from us, right? <clears throat> so once, once he cleans us up, then the Bible says he makes us a new creation, right? He starts giving us a new face. Let's see if I can get this out. There's one. Um, wait for it. <laughs> He cleans us up and we start looking different, right? We start looking more more like him.'ll tell you this part. Yeah, there we go. All right, he cleans us up. He gets all our yuck out and then he puts a light in us, right? And that lights to shine for him. But you know what? as we live th- through life, if we fill our pumpkins, or our lives with things of this world, things that are not glorifying to God, what do you think is going to shine out? Yeah, right? Not good things. So if I start putting some of these guts back in, it's going to cover my light up, right? That way, and then Jesus wouldn't be shining so bright anymore. So it's important that as we're looking at traditions and we're looking at truths, that we fill our lives with what God tells us to do. And what his truths say for our lives. And that way we can shine really bright for him. Okay? And this morning, Pastor Scott's going to talk to you about some traditions. And why it's important that we know what God says is what is right to do. And not necessarily what the world tells us to do. Um, and I've got some papers for you. I want you to take to your seats. There's some blanks here. And you're going to listen to Pastor Scott. There's going to be some um, things on the screen to help you. You can fill in the blanks on this paper, and if you fill it in correctly with what Pastor Scott tells you, then you can turn it in to me at the welcome desk in the back, and I'll have a prize for you after service. Okay? All right, so I'm going to pass these out to you. If you don't, it's okay. Great, Michael. I bet your mommy or daddy will help you. Hey, wait, I got something else. Don't leave yet. Hang on. You got to have something to write with. Don't leave without a bag and a paper. Paper. Hang on. Who else do we need? You got a bag, so you need my Of course, you want to fill you gotta fill this out though. Make it good. (laughs) Thank you guys. Love you guys. Let me pull this out.
0: Mm -hmm. Sing with me. Bless the Lord of my soul. Oh my soul worship his holy name sing like never before
3: people said amen well folks I don't have a pumpkin and I don't have prizes to get out give out at the end of the sermon it's just me I'm sorry but uh, anyway uh, take your Bibles and turn with me please to Mark's gospel as we continue our journey uh, through the shortest gospel in the New Testament And we'll be this morning looking at Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, when religion becomes a curse. And I want to echo what Pastor Seeger said a moment ago and thank all of those of you who took part in uh, uh, the fall festival last week. We could not have done it. Without you, boy, we ended up with a ton of kids and families down there. And I'm thrilled that uh, since Thursday night, uh, my wife has gone on a weight loss program. And and uh, she's lost 2,100 pounds <laughs> since Thursday night. But anyway, and thank you to the rest of you who dressed up and uh, took part in that. We okay? (laughs) Would you stand for the reading of God's word, please? Mark chapter 7. Mark 7, verses 1 to 23. Now, when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who would come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Father, we thank you for this, your word. And we humbly ask you to speak to us through the power of your spirit this morning. Lord, we trust that your word will not return unto you void. For this is your promise, but it will accomplish that which you purpose. Lord, accomplish your purposes here today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One commentator... Uh, offers a very interesting statement about why he thinks we might have this event recorded here in Mark's Gospel. He points out that a secondary value of this chapter is that it would be a powerful episode in preparing the hearts of the early Christians for their soon coming mission to the Gentiles. The Jews considered the Gentiles unclean, hopelessly unclean. And so this episode would have spoken to that. Now the background to this confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees has to do with oral traditions that are spelled out into what is known as the Mishnah. The Mishnah was the oral law and the oral interpretation of the written law. Now when I say the written law, I would mean the Ten Commandments, of course, but then they would enlarge it out to mean the first five books of Moses, the Pentateuch. And so the Mishnah was the oral law, the oral tradition that they laid down alongside of the written law, the Pentateuch. Now let me oversimplify this a bit this morning. What if we were to have a group of men and women in the church sit down together in our church library and they began discussing scripture? And Brother Bob says, oh, I think this passage means this, and and here's how we can get people to apply it. And time they're done, they have quite an impressive volume of oral statements that they've made. I want you to remember in ancient times, many things that got passed down were oral. They were very good at this. Not everybody could write. And besides, even those who could may not have the means to have all of the writing uh, materials needed for writing. And so ancient cultures became quite good at oral traditions being passed down. Now back to the group meeting in our library a moment. What they say gets repeated and repeated. Over months and years to the point that let's say later on in one of our men's Sunday school classes They begin discussing the topic of holiness And maybe a few men remember what Brother Bob said in the library about the topic of holiness And how it should be thought of and applied Now Brother Bob had some good things to say But it's certainly not to be viewed on the same level as the Bible But let's say Bob's words on holiness begin getting elevated among us even higher than the scripture itself. Now let's jump back to the world of the Bible a moment. Though there is absolutely no proof for what I'm about to say. Some rabbis promoted the idea that Moses actually received two different kinds of law from God on Mount Sinai. That he received the written law, the Ten Commandments, but they would go on to say God also gave him the oral law and traditions. What was later recorded as the Mishnah. And so some promoted the idea that the oral law and traditions, the Mishnah, actually had God himself as its source. The oral law was believed to be an unbroken chain of laws and traditions passed down from generation to generation until actually they were written down much later, in fact, even after the time of Jesus. They even came to believe that the Mishnah, the oral law, became the fence around the written law. That's how they thought of it. The Torah, the first five books of Moses, were policy, we might say. The written word recorded what God decreed. But not always how the decree was to be carried out. And so the Mishnah became the way the Pharisees promoted to tell how to carry out the written law. And then through generations it grew and it grew and it grew. Now let me be silly for a moment, okay? Let's say there was a law in the Bible about a man has to jump up and down on one foot ten times a day. Now I hope you know there is no such law in the Bible about that, okay? But let's just pretend for the sake of conversation there is. Well then the oral tradition comes along, uh, the Mishnah, and it says the first three times the man jumps, he's got to have a sandal on his foot with a green sock. The next three times he jumps, he has to have a sandal on his foot with the green sock, and he's got to also have a mouthful of pebbles. And then the last four times he jumps, he has to do all of the above, but then he's got to spit the pebbles out and skip them across a lake. Now, I hope that gives you an idea of how the rabbis started adding and adding and adding tradition upon tradition to the written law. And, and, and the rabbis became quite impossible in their expectations of what people could do or what they could not do. And so what's happening here in Mark chapter 7 is Jesus is challenging all of this. And he spoke about how religious men will sometimes establish traditions and elevate those traditions to a place of equal importance with the very word of God and maybe even end up putting more stock in their traditions than they do in the word of God. You know, I've heard of churches before in modern times feeling called to do something as a body of believers, something that is grounded in the scripture, something scripture tells us to do. And and this is brought up in a business meeting and somebody stands to the floor and says, I object. We can't do that. Our constitution and bylaws don't allow us to do that. Again, Jesus challenges all of that in these verses. And we learn a couple of things here. First of all, only the Word of God is to be, is to be our foundation for our practice. You need to write that down. Only the Word of God is to be our foundation for our practice. And then secondly, tradition can actually cloud our understanding of what God actually expects. Now I guess you could say that in religious circles we can even become a little bit like the government. Now let me explain that. The government may establish a law that that on its face is very helpful, even very needed. But then through the decades, you might have government employees that keep adding, working at their desk and adding a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more to that law. And they keep tweaking it over and over again until the government becomes hugely intrusive into our lives. I'll give you a true illustration. Actually, a true illustration right out of our church. Many of the uh, people in our congregation, especially those older, will know uh, what I'm talking about. There was a caterer in our church. And she held to all of the laws of the health department. That's a good thing. We certainly don't want restaurants and caterers uh, doing something like giving us hepatitis or poisoning us. But then the government came in and told this caterer and her husband that she could no longer have the appliances that she had. She had commercial appliances for her business. They were good. But they came in and said, Oh, you've got to now have this kind of oven. You've got to have this kind of hood. You've got to have these kind of pots, these kind of utensils, these kind of tables. You've got to have this, 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 and that. And finally she told me, Scott, we had to go out of business. There was no way that private business owners could afford what they started saying that we needed. I use that as an analogy. And the analogy is this, that in religious circles we can do the same thing. We can start saying, okay, in church we got to do this and this and that. And we start tacking on all types of particular things that we got to do. And pretty soon those traditions or certain ways of doing things in that particular church get elevated to a place that if somebody doesn't do them, they're looked down upon. Or the rules become so intrusive and oppressive, nobody can really live up to them. Legalism is great about this. It adds all this stuff. Some of you may remember days in some of your churches, especially if you were members of very conservative, strict churches, you remember days when when a man's hair better not be too long and touch his ears. Especially if he wanted to serve as a deacon or some official capacity in the church. He needed to have the right haircut. And his wife better have a skirt that not only came down below the knees. But it probably needed to come down about five or six inches below the knees. I'm not talking about modesty. Hopefully we're all modest. I'm just talking about some of these uh, oppressive things that got added on. And, And in environments like this... Everybody ended up having their list. Brother John had his list. Sister Sue had her list. Everybody had their list and it becomes almost an impossible environment to minister in and function in. Now don't get me wrong, if the Word of God addresses something, we need to be tenacious about doing it. But in matters the word of God doesn't address, we need to allow for some charity. And again, this is is what Jesus is addressing in this passage. And he points out that true religion has got to address the heart. Because ritual alone imposed from the outside can never transform a man. Folks, this is an issue things legalistic things imposed, other religions struggle with too. Now obviously we believe Christianity is the only true religion. But take other religions that struggle with some of the same things. I think about Islam, how in Islam a woman going out in public better not have anything but her eyes showing. That's all. Everything else covered up. But you remember what happened when our American soldiers raided the compound when where Osama bin Laden was and they killed him, there was enough adult material in there to choke an elephant. Legalism that they weren't actually doing. Legalism and religion can never transform the heart. Jesus Christ transforms men and women from the inside out. Aren't you glad of that? This is a result of being born again, born from above, born of the Spirit. And it's a lesson for us, folks. Ministry has got to aim at the heart of a person, not just rules to be obeyed. If you change an individual's heart, you're going to change their actions. But if all you try to do is impose rules on them from the outside all you're doing is setting them up for hell because they'll think they're right with God on the basis of checking all the boxes on the list that you give them they've done all the right things and they've avoided all the wrong things and so they conclude on that basis alone they must be right with God now let's see how all of that develops here And what I want you to see this morning is how men and women need a new heart. Jesus can do in your heart what laws and traditions cannot do. First thing I want you to notice with me this morning is the conflict with religious leaders over tradition from the first eight verses. In the Old Testament, ritual washings were primarily imposed upon the priest. But by Jesus' day, the priest and the scribes and the Pharisees had imposed these ritual cleansings on everybody. Now there's a textual issue in verse 3 with the term ceremonial washing. Some translations say careful washing, others diligently washing, or others first washing. But the best Greek manuscripts have the word fist. And what they meant by that is you would wash up to the fist or even up to the elbow and then you would rub an open palm with this fist. You would dip dip it in the water or pour water over it and take a fist and grind it in your palm and then you would pour water over this hand and take this fist and rub it into the palm and, and, and do like that. The indication was there was some type of very exacting, careful cleansing that had to be done. They said the hands had to be held fingers up. And enough water had to be poured over the hands to fill at least one and a half eggshells the water had to be allowed to run down at least to the wrist and then the fist of one hand was rubbed into that palm and then likewise the other and then finally water had to be poured over the hands once again but this time the fingers had to be pointed downward so all the water would drip off of the fingertips. That was a ceremonial washing. Now I want you to understand that there was nothing about cleanliness or hygiene being the issue here it was a ceremonial ritualistic washing and it also had to be done with plates bowls cups because if you'd been to the marketplace and come into contact with a Gentile then anything you touched would be considered unclean and had to be ceremonially washed how would you like to have to come home every night after work and as you're getting ready to fix dinner and set the table you had to first of all go through this ritual cleansing and then anything in the kitchen you had touched, you'd have to go through this ceremonial cleansing with each and every one of those items. It'd be absolutely exhausting. You'd say, honey, let's just go out to eat. (laughs) Now these traditions, the Mishnah became actually written down in 220 A.D. And it was also referred to as the writings or the traditions of the elders. Listen to one line in the Mishnah which shows how off base they had become. It is a greater offense, the Mishnah said, to teach anything contrary to the voice of a rabbi than even to contradict scripture itself. No wonder Jesus quoted here Isaiah 29 when he said this people honors me with their lips but their hearts are far from me you hypocrites. Jesus was pointing out how with their lips they were praising God. But but in their hearts, because of all this, their hearts are far from him. And you know what hypocrisy is? It's play acting. It's when we say one thing and do another. It's being two-faced. It's done for show. Jesus called the elders here, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, hypocrites. Hypocrites. The point of the Isaiah passage is addressing the scenario of when our confessions of faith and our religious practice only address the outside and never do anything to address the heart. And so Jesus was saying their faith was phony. Phony. They're hypocrites. They're phony. Because what they're promoting among the people are just man-made laws from the outside. Folks, when we robotically go through the liturgy of religious practice, we miss everything that God's trying to teach us in the Bible. Knowing God and being reconciled with God, having peace with God, has nothing to do with making sure the water drips off your fingertips in the right direction. Jesus said in verse 7 here that all such worship is in vain. And you know what amazes me? 2,000 years later in some Christian circles, we're still fighting these same battles. Traditions that get elevated above this. Second thing I want you to notice with me this morning, from verses 9 to 13, there's the condemnation the condemnation of setting aside the word of God. He said to them you have fine ways of rejecting the commandment of, of God in order to establish your tradition for Moses said honor your father and your mother and whoever uh, reviles father or mother must surely die but you say if a man tells his father or mother whatever you would have gained from me as Corban that is given to God then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you've handed down and many such things you do what Jesus is talking about here is the fifth commandment in Exodus chapter 20 that has to do with honoring your father and mother. And then he also quotes from from Exodus 21 when God elaborated on the fifth commandment that anybody who curses father and mother is to be put to death. But you know the religious leaders had a nice little neat loophole that they would written into this. And let me explain it this way. One way to honor your father and mother was to help them as they aged, if they needed your help. Because I want you to remember, in Jesus' day, there was no such thing as a social security system. The children were the parents' social security system. And you know, the Bible says we're worse than an infidel if we don't take care of our own family members. So let's say here's a couple up in age. Because they're up in age, due to their health, maybe they're not as productive as they used to be. They're not able to work like they used to. And consequently, they end up in financial need. And they have a son, and they go to him, but he says, Well, Mom and Dad, I can't help you anymore because the resources that I have here are Corbin, dedicated to God. And according to their tradition, the tradition of the elders, they said if you had set aside anything and labeled it Corban, dedicated to God, then you did not have to use any of that to help your aging parents. Corban, dedicated to God. Sounds spiritual, right? But it wasn't. That tradition actually would cause somebody to disobey Exodus 20 and 21 about honoring their father and mother. They had created a man-made loophole so they could protect their resources and not have to help their parents out. About five years ago, I received an email from a fairly young man and he told me in that email that he and his wife had set aside some savings and they were building their life savings and he said, he said pastor I want these life savings to be dedicated to God I want them to be used for things in the future dedicated to God but my wife's parents are from another country and they've developed a lot of needs now, genuine needs. And he says, my wife is wanting to raid our account here that's dedicated to God and start using some of this money to help her parents. And I've been telling her, we can't. That money's dedicated to God. Pastor, don't you agree with me? Won't you help me with my wife? Tell me that this is money dedicated to God? And I emailed him back and I said, actually, sir, your wife is correct. And you know what? By helping her parents in need, you actually are giving to God. Now, folks, don't use this passage to come up with all kinds of ways you can get out of giving to God, you know, you know. Jesus is describing a real family need here. And and he condemned them the way they were setting aside their responsibility that the scripture pointed out. You say, oh, pastor, today we're home free. We'd never do anything like that. We'd never set aside the word of God and elevate our traditions. Well, go back to that couple I mentioned a moment ago. The man with maybe his hair was up for deacons. hair's too long or something. Maybe he's biblically qualified to be a deacon. Would be a wonderful deacon, wonderful example in the church. But his hair was too long. And so he wasn't made a deacon. I guarantee you there's somebody in this congregation that some decades ago you probably remember a scenario like that happening. We've got our nice, neat little traditions that set aside the Word of God. Third thing I want you to see, clarification on clean versus unclean from verses 14 down to verse 23. And what Jesus does here is he gives a little bit of an anatomy lesson to make a point. The the religious leaders and even the disciples perhaps were a little bit confused on this whole thing about what goes into a man uh, doesn't make him unclean. And so he gives a little lesson here on the digestive system. You eat something, it goes into the stomach, through the intestines, out the body. It doesn't go into the heart and and mind and soul. Now let me remind you something here. Jesus is not saying you can't ingest something with germs or salmonella. That's not the issue. So don't think it's okay to feed your kids out of a dirty dog dish. It's not, okay? But anyway, he's not talking about just normal germs. He's talking about ingestion something that would actually make you spiritually defiled but on the other hand he points out what comes out of the mind and heart out of the mouth is actually what defiles a person because what comes out of a person their their thinking that that is revealed in the way they act their words what does that show That shows what's in their heart. You take a man who is filthy in his language. He's perverted. He's mean. He's a gossip. He slanders people. He robs. Maybe he cheats on his wife. He's full of pride. Is that because of the ribeye steak that he ate for supper last night? No, it's because he's got a bad heart. He's a man who needs Jesus in his life. You can send him to Yale. You can put him in a tuxedo. You can give him the most expensive car out there to drive. You can put him in one of the finest housing developments in the city. And will any of that clean him up? No, it'll just make him a more sophisticated pig. If you want him to change, something's got to happen to change his heart. And we know what that something is, don't we? He's got to be born again. You know, this is something we've got to get a handle on today. Way too many people in so-called Christian circles fail to see that the externals of Christianity don't make somebody right with God. They think if you baptize him or put his name on a church roll, he's good to go. I have taught... Folks, I have talked to plenty of good Baptists down through my 35 years plus in ministry. And I'll ask a gentleman, so are are you saved? Do you know Christ? Oh, yeah. I was baptized when I was eight. I say, well, tell me about that. Well, I don't know, but my parents told me I went down front after vacation Bible school and the preacher said some things to me and presented me to the church. Next thing I knew, I was being baptized and I became a church member. So, so yeah, I guess, I guess I'm right with God. I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations like that. Somebody thinks I've done all the right things, therefore I must be saved. Folks, externals are the fruit of true Christian commitment. You get baptized because you have been saved, not in order to be saved. You join a local fellowship because you have been saved, not in order to be saved. Good works are the fruit of a changed life. Good works are not the root of a changed life. Good works cannot buy your way into heaven. Just like Jesus said to Nicodemus, Nicodemus, unless a person is born again, born from above, born of the Spirit, he will not see the kingdom of God. Folks, the fact of the matter is, we need a new heart. Jeremiah talked about this, how God would take out the heart of stone and put in a heart of flesh. Symbolizing this, What God does in a person's life through the power of His Spirit, God changes a person's heart, gives them a new heart. The problem with the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they were just emphasizing all the stuff skin deep on the outside. They had gotten everybody so confused on this issue, Jesus had to take some extra time clarifying it. The issue is, have you been born again? Have you been made new on the inside out? A changed heart that changes the outside. Or have you just had all these traditions and rules placed upon you from the outside and you're thinking you're good with God and your heart's still in the same condition it's always been in? Was there ever a time in your life where you were convicted of your sin? You knew you needed God's forgiveness. You knew you couldn't make yourself right with God. You you came to a point, you believed the Bible's testimony about who Jesus is and what he's done. And you turned to him and him alone to save you. Has that ever happened in your life? Or are you just walking around trying to live by a bunch of little boxes on a sheet in your mind I've done this you know I don't drink I don't smoke and I don't chew and I don't go with girls who do hey I've checked all the right boxes I must be right with God Jesus said you must he didn't say it's just a good idea hey think about this if you get around to it one day be something nice to get around to he said You must be born again if you're going to see the kingdom of God. Folks, this is a serious matter. This this is religion 101. This is Christianity 101. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Do you know Jesus and does he know you? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Man comes to Christ, starts growing in the Lord. All those outside things, God's going to take care of those things in time. Some of them might fall by the wayside immediately. Some of them he may have to work on a lot more years. But he's got the Spirit of God in him now. He's got a new heart. God begins working on him. Have you been born again? You know, the dramatics and the emotions are different for each of us. Some people are like the Apostle Paul. In Acts chapter 9, he's on his way to Damascus. God knocks him to the ground, gloriously saves him. I mean, radically changes him inside out. Just, I mean, dramatic. And then you read later on of Paul in Philippi... Down by the river, they're having an open-air uh, open church meeting. And there's a business lady there from Thyatira by the name of Lydia. And the scripture says, as Paul was speaking, God opened her heart to believe. Just quiet. Here's Paul knocked to the ground. Radical conversion. Lydia... The Lord opened her heart to believe. Which one of the two was more saved? They were both equally saved. Equally saved. Dramatic in emotions, different, but equally saved. Some of you had an Apostle Paul type conversion, some of you had a Lydia type conversion. And guess what? If you were converted, you're just as converted. But the issue is, have you been converted? Have you been born again? And if not, I want you to understand today, you're lost. I don't care how many church services you've been to. You could be baptized till your skin's wrinkled. But if you've not been converted, you're lost. And you need Jesus. And joining every church in town won't help that. You need Jesus. misunderstanding this issue right here Jesus is talking about can not only keep somebody out of heaven, but it can also do something uh, second to that. It can also fill a person's heart with pride. If they feel like they have checked all the right boxes. Remember the parable of the Pharisee and the publican in Luke 18? They both went up to the temple to pray. The the Pharisee uh, lifted up his eyes to God, looked over at the publican said, God, I thank you that I'm not like that rascal over there. I do this and do this and do this and do that. God, you ought to be proud to have me on your team. And the Bible says the publican would not even lift his eyes to heaven. He looked downward and beat his breast and said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the scripture says, he's the one who went home right with God that day. Not only can an external-only religion keep you from truly knowing God, but it can fill your heart with pride if you feel like you have checked all the right boxes. Aren't you glad Jesus dealt with these issues? Let me leave you with some takeaways. Don't fall into the trap of thinking ritual no matter how well intentioned can make you right with God. Don't fall into the trap of thinking ritual no matter how well intentioned can make you right with God. A second takeaway, beware of modern day traditions that are not rooted in the Scripture and that become more important to a group of people than the Word of God itself. And then finally, what comes out of your life testifies to what's in your heart. The fruit of your life gives evidence of either lostness or conversion. What is your life saying about you? Would you stand, please? Do you need Christ? Come to Christ. You're not just coming to a preacher to pray with you and present you to a body of believers. Come to Christ. I'll be here, Pastor Seeger, Pastor Knight. Do you need to come to Christ? Maybe this text and others like it will help you as you share the gospel too. As you share the gospel, share with others what the gospel really is. It's about Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. He's the one that forgives us of our sins and reconciles us to a holy God. Make sure you're not pushing the wrong things to people that can never save them. It's about Christ. And also I hope you'll evaluate what you do in your Christian life. I'm not saying all traditions are bad and all liturgy is bad. Again, if it's out of the heart of belief that you've done some things to help you grow but those things can never become a substitute that calls you to miss Jesus do you have the right attitude about the traditions you're doing what are you trying to accomplish through those is what God's Word says to us about Christ is that the foundation Of your faith in God. Or are you trying to make man-made things your foundation? Let's sing together. Mm -hmm.